um, Zelle, Venmo, Stripe, all these these things, the, the new kind of age worker is it's more of an expectation that they'll be paid faster. So some people have moved to weekly. We have just released, released instant pay. So what we're able to do in addition to our platform is we also integrate with other platforms. So vertical specific platforms that are say providing services for say landscaping or lawn cutting or food delivery or last mile delivery, things like that. Well, we're able to connect with them or embed into their application. So once a worker completes their task, their delivery, their um, re you know requested job, um, we're able to pay them within 30 minutes of that job being done. So it's instant. Wow. Sometimes it's in honestly with less than five minutes. So it's it's very fast. Um, we accomplish that through we have a card program where we can put the money on the card on in your pocket right now that you have, which allows us to pay people 365 days a year. Wow. So weekends, holidays, instant pay. It's vertically integrated or, or standalone. And I guess one of our, our secret sauces, we're able, so people, when they hear this, it sounds hard. It sounds really hard to them. Like, how am I going to handle that with my accounting, my general ledger books, processing payroll every day? Well, we have a credit facility. And for our customers that are approved for that, we make the payments for them on our credit. And then they just settle up with us at the end of their regular payroll cycle. So actually nothing changes for the company at all. We make the payment, the approved payments for them, pay their employees instantly. And at a time post pandemic that we're in, recruiting and retaining is, as you were, you know, you and I were chatting about earlier, this is a real challenge for companies. Mm -hmm. So if you're not going into an office and you have things like gym memberships or free lunches or some of the things to entice workers to come in. Um, there's something now tangible that an employer is able to offer to their workers that we will pay you instantly. There's a dirty little secret actually out there in, in payroll where large traditional payroll companies. Um, so if your payroll is due on the 15th of a month, you typically have to submit your payroll on the 12th, something like that a couple of days early. Well, companies like ADP have interest income. So they're making hundreds of millions of dollars by holding on to people's payroll funds. So they're not really incentivized to move quickly. Their businesses are built around it. It's five to 7% of ADP's revenue. Wow. Is, is All right. We hit, so you know, it's funny to say that because we had a recent, I messed up. Um, I forgot about uh martin luther king day being a bank holiday right so mm -hmm. i submitted payroll it was due on the 15th 15th was a sunday or something like that yep. so the crew should have been actually received their pay on friday but they didn't end up receiving it until tuesday tuesday but the money was out of my account on wednesday like right. the previous that's exactly what like, I'm talking we're talking about. five six days yeah. for the bank or yeah. payroll company to just camp on the money with no, like, there's nothing that well, I can it's greedy. Like, hey, there's, there's no reason for them to innovate uh, because they're making that money. And it's mm -hmm. kind of been kind of the four or five standard companies that have done it. And now there are a lot of other companies like every that are focused on this kind of new age of payroll and payments. So 
something that's unique to us is we're able to handle 1099s and W-2 workers. Oh, and we're really focused on contingent workforces. So gig economy businesses, um, delivery, door-to-door -door type sales, hourly workforces, those that are kind of, I would say, more vulnerable to pay discrepancies or not quite making it to a pay cycle, um, to the end of the pay cycle. And, you know, they're coming to their employers for short-term loans. Mm -hmm. They're saying, can you, can you front me some money so I can get through to the paycheck? Well, now you don't have to do that. They can come into our app and just press cash out and they get paid the money that they earned when they, when they want it. Interesting. Yeah. So I want to ask you, I mean, you raise a ton of questions because one, this sounds very interesting, uh, especially as an employee, but I wonder just the technology slash rules yeah. about ACH because ACH in my world takes a few days. It's slow, relatively mm -hmm. speaking. It's yeah. not like the money is out of our account, but it's not yet reached. The other count and I always think of those movies where they're like give me all your money you know transfer 40 million dollars at yeah. this moment and they're like it's in your account it's in your account yeah and I'm like I don't think that's how banks work yeah well something that really facilitated the launch of every was 2018 same day ACH was brought to the table at an affordable in affordable manner so we're able to process same day ACH where ACHs typically were at least 24 hours, maybe 48 hours in the past. Um, if you approve your payroll by 11 a.m. in the morning, we can have money in your account by 3 p.m. that afternoon. So right. it's built on same day ACH. But what we've done is we've built other avenues to pay fast. So it, same day ACH goes to banks, right? The banking rails or banking network. Mm -hmm. We also are able to push to a card which is outside of that, it's a completely different rail, which allows us to pay on say Martin Luther King day, or say you're having to remove snow from a, from a business on Christmas Eve, we can pay you Christmas Eve for the work that you've done, which uh -huh. takes a little bit of the sting out of having to work Christmas Eve. If you're <laughs> right. For you, right? I got paid. So yeah. can you just, I guess for myself as well as our audience, Yeah. because I don't necessarily know that people broadly speaking, understand all of the eccentricities about how moving money actually works. Cause I always joke, it's a small world until you have to ship something and it's a small world until you yeah. have to pay someone. Cause if it's not green cash, just tangible cash in front of someone. Yeah. To me, um, I guess to get on a little bit of a side tangent, I had a vendor that I had out of um, Europe, England somewhere. And there instant pay is just a thing mm. and i was looking i was like how this girl um she was asking for pay right away like right away and i kept looking like i don't even know how how to do that because yeah. you look at paypal or venmo and stuff like this to cross the ocean apparently there's a delay yeah and all this kind of stuff so it's interesting so can you talk with us about how ach typically worked how same day ach works yeah. and then how the logistics of how putting the money on the card bypasses a lot of that? Yeah. So, I mean, our banking system in the United States is federally monitored. And so there are banking rails where you have to be FDIC approved. They're heavily regulated. There's a lot of, um, you know, I, I guess paperwork or some bureaucracy that goes into that, but it's highly regulated and even more so post 9-11 where 
there's just a lot of tracking things that go on. So there's the banking rails where you're using the federal system and nothing that happens in the federal system is usually fast. <laughs> just universally. Yeah, universally. So card programs like Visa or MasterCard, they're built outside of banks or they have their own kind of banking ability within, within their companies. And so they have their own processing routes that are outside of the federal. They're still, you know, they're still accountable to the laws and regulations and things like that, but they built their own payment rails that kind of go around that. So we've just kind of diversified um, how we distribute money to make it the most best and most convenient for, um, for the worker. All right. So yeah. as an employer is the money, let's just say the employee has a card mm -hmm. and the employee worked a day. So we got to pay him a hundred bucks or whatever. Is that money coming directly out of my account to their card or my account to your account to their card? Yeah. We, so we can do it a couple different ways. We can do what's called kind of a round trip where we're at the same time. Like when you're selling stock, you can do a cashless transaction. You buy and sell at the same time. We can take your money out of a given account and send it right to them through the card or through the ACH. Or um, if you only want us to withdraw from your accounts once or twice a month, we make those payments for you. And then we just settle up at um, your regular interval, your regular pay cycle. All right. All right. Cause I can imagine reconciling mm -hmm. like, no, I don't know of any employer or entrepreneur that's like, you know what? I wish I had more stuff to reconcile. Right. Like, longer bank statement every month. I just, yeah. I would well, love we do that on, like, every time we take, we make a payment, we, we take taxes out. We, you know, we remit what needs to, so you don't have to worry about any of that. We we take care of all of those things, and all then right. we provide the W twos at the end or ten ninety nines. Oh, are you doing all that? Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. So, from uh, let's just say an employee has benefits of some kind, PTO, health insurance, whatever, four hundred one k, all that jazz. How deep do you guys get into that? Yeah, so we don't sell 401ks or benefits, but we have middleware integrations with the largest benefits providers. And so you can make a change in your benefits and it will be reflected in our in our platform as we make the integrations. Integration right. QuickBooks Online. There's a company called Employee Navigator that connects to, I think, 80% of benefits providers. Oh, so wow. we just use those integrations. But where our mission is fast pay. Right. And meeting the employee where they are, the worker where they are, and by whatever means necessary, getting them the funds as, as fast as possible. All right. Interesting. I want to play devil's advocate a little bit, if you don't mind. Sure. Because as an employer, just like just about every employer, even more so in the past few years, yeah. uh, ghosting has become a thing mm -hmm. where employees just decide today's not a good day to go to work and tomorrow doesn't look that hot either. Yeah. And I'm not really interested in telling my employer at all. <laughs> so come in the this... morning and leave at lunch. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing until I started hiring people, and then it turns out it's definitely a thing. Yeah. Anyways, um, is there any measurable statistic that you guys have that shows whether something like this um makes that more common? Or yeah, it's so... just common. Um, so what we found is that retention rates for employers increased by 30% when they're paying faster. 
Well, so 90% of US, US businesses say it's very difficult to, to hire people. 83% of workers believe they should have access to their funds faster. So we're seeing that as a recruiting and a retention tool um, for all types of businesses. Mm-hmm. Now there's some, you know, I would say that our product isn't really designed for higher salaried people or higher compensated people. Um, but if you're an hourly worker and a contingent workforce and you are potentially living paycheck to paycheck, um, it's super meaningful. I mean, <laughs> if you get an hourly job, you might quit to go to another job for a $1 more an hour. Well, if you're being paid every day, that dollar maybe doesn't become so enticing and you stay where you are. So we found it to be a great retention tool. All right. Yeah, yeah. I lost employee. I wouldn't consider it a loss. An employee <laughs> left over a quarter an hour, which is thinking like the cost of you transitioning is probably, you won't make that up for a year and a half. Yeah. But whatever. Yeah. Um, continuing on with the devil's advocate thing. Sure. Um, a lot of people that I imagine are essentially your target market from an employee standpoint may, I don't, I don't mean to sound judgmental or anything, but if you're not making a lot of money, it's probably tougher to be good with money. Yeah. Right. It's probably pretty easy for people with a lot of money to say that they're good at money because yeah. they have enough quote unquote. Right. So if you're not that great at money and you get it every every day, mm-hmm. and at the end of the month you got to pay rent or buy groceries or something like that, then you've been getting your money and spending your money as you bring it in and it goes, and you're like, ah oh, crap, I gotta yeah. pay rent. Maybe it's doing a disservice in that in that instance. Yeah. Um So I would say that 10% of all workers are going to mismanage their money and nothing that I do or you do or a relative or a financial consultant is going to help. (laughs) They're going to spend beyond their means, um, maybe rely on credit cards or, you know, there's just going to be some problems. Um, The other 90% though, um, I think companies have had this, I would call it erroneous opinion that they're the savings accounts for employees like they're they're holding on to their money for employees oh interesting okay or or they're good and i would say um you know that's not really giving credit to to the worker or the employee Mm -hmm. are people going to mismanage their money yes sometimes but also when you have access to money faster it gives a greater value to the dollars that you've earned so, for example, if you're looking to buy a television set and you're an hourly worker, maybe working part time and that television set is five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. When you go into your bank account and you're being paid every day, that television set equates to five days of work, as an example. Mm-hmm. So it causes additional thought of, OK, do I, is it really worth? Because I worked hard those five days. Is it really worth it? Oh, interesting. Do do OK. So what I found is it puts a greater value to the money and the way that the way that they save it, spend it, use it. Um, So there's certainly a risk of it. There are some people I agree with you that just for all the efforts in the world, they just don't manage their money well. Right. But for the majority, I think it provides a greater value to the money for the, the hours they worked and the time they put in and puts a value to those dollars. Interesting. All right. All right. Um, the other thing that I wonder is from an employer standpoint. Yeah. I like I'm doing payroll or having payroll taken care of 
twice a month. And I guess I never even thought about doing a day to day because that's more paperwork. And I hate doing payroll when I yeah. have to do payroll. So I can only imagine like I got to collect all the hours at the end of the day, send them out. That means that I or my bookkeeper is spending more time because that's every day instead of twice a month. Right. Well, in our platform, we have a built in time clock. Oh, okay. And All we right. also have a scheduling app within our platform. So we can get a view into what hours are scheduled to work and what hours have been worked. So with the time clock, when they punched in, if they want to collect their dollars, we're easily able to say, okay, well, you're requesting 40 hours of payment. You've only worked 35. We send a text message to you and say, hey, we could we could pay for the 35 hours, but you don't have 40 hours available. And we take care of all of that. All right. right. So, so, you know, a, a, the bane of the existence of a payroll administrator is collecting hours, tracking people down. What totally did agree. You work, right. Totally agree. Especially so when they're remote. This puts the onus on the worker to be accurate with their time punches so that they have access to those funds faster. All right. So it really shouldn't be creating any additional work for the administrator. It's we built it to to minimize all of that. We run, we pay our employees every well whenever they want to be paid. But for those that are paid daily, um, that our our payroll person, it takes he's told me ninety seconds to run. All pay. right. So you just so I understand, is this something where the employee says, "Hey, I want to cash out," so it could be daily, weekly, or just yeah. Whenever the wind blows in their direction or is it automatic daily or weekly? So we have in your, in the onboarding process, this is another thing. We take the onboarding away from the HR manager and put it to the worker. So we have a really slick onboarding process. And in that onboarding process, the administrator has said, this is what I want to offer to my employees daily, weekly, bi-weekly, semi-monthly, pay your way is something that we call just kind of a cash out. So options, whatever options are made available by the company, the employee can choose those in their onboarding. So if they want to be paid daily, we just send a text message to the administrator at the end of the day that says, these are the hours. And generally, you know what your normal payroll is within, within a certain delta. So mm -hmm. if it's within that range, you just swipe it left and, and you can pay them. So it's, it's pretty All slick. Right. So it's not automatic because someone has to approve it. Mm -hmm. Because we're sending dollars. So somebody has to approve it, but the approving process is it's quite simple. It's All just right. app-based and you can do it from your phone, in your car, wherever. Interesting. Tell me about PTO. Like an employee takes the day off, but they still want to get paid yeah. for that day. Is it essentially the yeah, same? Yeah, we accrue the PTO. So we take care of the PTO. We have um, PTO policies built into our product. So, you know, if they have PTO that's available to them, we'll keep track of that and we'll know that those hours are available for them to, to cash out on. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Sounds like yeah, you've thought of it a lot, but it's, and it's hard. We, so we did the hard stuff first by building a payroll platform. Right. But having that has allowed us to move into these contingent workforces where there's maybe 10, 20, 30, W-2 employees that are working in a business and maybe 10,000, 1099 that are doing kind of gig work, part-time work or something like that. And we're uniquely positioned where we can serve both of those 
groups. Interesting. Yeah, it's funny because I'm in the process of hiring. I've looked at a lot, like hundreds of resumes. And it's interesting because you look at a lot of them and you think maybe these guys are treating their jobs like gigs instead yeah. of yeah. careers or even something that you want to stay more than a week at. Yeah, a lot of, and this has come, I think, out of the pandemic. A lot of people have these gig jobs. Some of them have three or four that they work. They work for Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, and they they love the flexibility. And this goes into the payments. There's a flexibility or a desired outcome for time and access to things that has kind of sped up over the last couple of years with expectations. Um, and I think we fit like a glove to where the market is going with that. Yeah. That's when did you guys first launch? We launched in um, April of 2018. Okay. When we incorporated. Right. It's been around a little while. Yeah. And then you came on. When... Okay. I came around in um, 2019 or the February, 2020. All right. So I've been here three <laughs> years. Perfect time. Ready or not. Perfect timing. To come in. Um, Started So I was on the board of directors and then was asked um, by my partner, Ron Ross, to join as CEO. He's the president. I can tell you a little bit about our history. It's kind of interesting, but yeah, um, it was six weeks before the pandemic really hit. So that was a crash course in, <laughs> in leadership and management because we were an in-office company and now we're fully remote. Or I would say we're flexible. We have an office, but it's flexible work. work All right. Space. Yeah. Are the majority of your employees software and developers, HR people? The majority are product and engineering. We okay. have some in operations, a um, little bit smaller in sales and marketing. But given that we want to be a product-led organization, we've really heavily invested in our product and engineering. All right. To stay ahead of the curve. Got Sweet. some great people there. All right. You, I believe, had to go through, or I guess every had to go through... Funding is that or chose to go through funding? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Funding is an adventure. Um, <laughs> you know, is it? It's not fun. It's really hard. It can be very rewarding once it comes through. And I don't think people understand the amount of work that goes into raising money. From it, it becomes a CEO's primary job when you're in that phase. But it takes people from all finance, product and engineering, like um, our operations to really put something together. We raised a seed round of four and a half million dollars in um, 2019. Wow. We raised an A round in 2020 in April. So three months after I arrived, uh, $10 million. Wow. And then last year, um, we signed an exclusive partnership deal where we um, received $45 million in funding with that was non-dilutive because it was a partnership and not venture or ec private equity. So um, the gap in between those, um, I can tell you when your sales aren't growing quite the way you'd like them to or feel like you need them to and your cash deposits, your, your runway is decreasing, that's an incredibly stressful moment for people in the business. But I would say specifically for the CEO, because families' lives are, you know, impacted and you see right. all these layoffs that are happening around it. And mm -hmm. fortunately, we've avoided all of those um, reduction in force, you know, knock on wood. Mm -hmm. And we're on a great trajectory right now. 
But nice. yeah, raising I think is important. One thing is I've been involved. Um, I came up through marketing. So I've been in the C-suite for 15 years. Um, been around fundraising, reported to boards um, in small increments, but I've never been the kind of the guy, the, the guy that they called, right? And so that's been a thing, like, how do I manage a board of directors? And by how, one of the challenges in fundraising is making sure you get the right types of investors. Because mm. there's dollars, there are dollars out there that you can you can go get. But I think there's kind of smart money and dumb money. There's you can get money, but are you getting it from someone who doesn't really believe in what you're doing or, mm. you know, they're, they're challenging to work with or any number of things that, that could go um, wrong in those relationships. Cause you're, you're basically getting married. Right. You know, yeah, it's a relationship. You don't divorce an investor. <laughs> no. You don't do that. Not easily. <laughs> Not easily. You know, so that's another kind of, checking referrals and understanding how they work with other people um, and reputation and just meeting with them and not rushing to decisions. Uh, but I think the most important thing for fundraising is making sure that your business is healthy and you have the metrics, the KPIs, the um, discipline within your business that makes it kind of a no-brainer for them, right? right? So if you're going in and you have um, some pretty healthy growth, say three digit growth, that's appealing, but your margins are really, really bad. There's a, there's a mismatch <laughs> there. It doesn't work. Right. So you need to have, you know, healthy margins, healthy retention rates, healthy growth. And if you can hit those, those main points, most people, you, you can get, you can get money and you can have your choice of people. If you end right. up in a place where you maybe don't have the dis discipline in your business, your, your options get limited in who is willing to give you money. And therefore, you might end up with a partner who honestly could make your life kind of miserable. <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah. Tell me the 45 million. That's a yeah. huge nut. Yeah. So somebody or a few people think that things are going well or will go well. Yeah, so one of our one of the main things that verticals that we were trying to, to penetrate were restaurants. So it's a, it's a oh. huge total addressable market, tips, hourly wages. And we we're finding it really challenging to penetrate that market because they have point of sale solutions that everything is connected with their back-end accounting, inventory, um, job costing management, all of those things. And they either had their own payroll or they were connected with Toast or some of these others were big. So we were having a hard time penetrating that. We ended up speaking with a, um, a point of sale group that does, for, they, I think they have some like 40,000 restaurants and they came to us thinking that they might acquire us. And then that conversation turned to a partnership because I felt like we had too much runway and it was just too, I didn't feel like it was an appropriate time for us to sell. Mm -hmm. And they've been, they were trying to extend their um, platform or their, their product offering and payroll was a natural fit. And they'd gone to a lot of different people. We just happened to be at the right size of our business. Like if, if they went to an ADP, ADP is huge. They're not going to kind of work with them like that. So we actually put our teams together. We sold them a copy of our code 
and it's fully integrated and running. And we were able to do that uh, again for that 45 million cash and cash and stock. Wow. Yeah, it was, um, I'll tell you, that was a good day. That was a good day, you know, knowing that you have runway, people are safe in their jobs, but also it gave us the opportunity as a small business to invest in, in places that we've been holding off on. Mm-hmm. Right. So we've seen some of that growth and impact because of that. It was a, it was a, it was a really, uh, it was a good day. Yeah. All right. I bet. And was that who, I guess, did you, did you say they came to you or you went to them or? We were mutually introduced by a VC firm that we had both worked with. So okay. we were, there was a mutual introduction and we just kind of started kicking the tires. We're in the same kind of arena developing a friendship relationship and then conversations just kind of progress from there start to finish it was about three months so not that long relatively fast yeah Yeah. and they're great people Um, i'm not going to mention who they are but they're really good people and they're doing great with the product and we're proud to be working with them nice so as you or your crew makes updates does that, that get shared? I imagine with them as well. It gets shared, and they have well, they have the opportunity to take those updates or not if they don't want them. But okay. they also now have the ability to build custom things into our code just for restaurants. Oh wow! Okay. Right, so they can build on it, we can build on it, and we can share there. But yeah, they're they're definitely focused on on restaurants. But All right. what that that deal did. Was it opened my eyes to the fact that we've been selling one-to-one kind of small businesses, dry cleaners, you know, construction sites. We rip and replace. We like we rip and replace from their existing payroll. That deal really opened my mind to, hey, wait a minute, there's a vertical SaaS play here with our product. We weren't built for it at the time, but it bit, it was kind of a forcing function to think we could have a one-to-many go-to-market approach where we're selling to one account that they might have hundreds of businesses that they're selling to. So I've mentioned retention and acquisition and retention of employees is a benefit. There's also an addition of um, revenue streams for businesses that want to either white label or embed our product into their existing because it's hard to build product or it's hard to build product, but it's really hard to build payroll products. There's well, so imagine. many complexities with taxes and just regulations yeah. and compliance and policies. So if they can essentially buy into that by embedding with us or helping us embed with them, um, we're seeing a lot of demand there. I'm really excited about what the future holds. Nice. Tell me about some of the challenges that you've had since you got on board. Or let me back up a step. When you you were on the board before you were CEO, right? Uh, that's correct. Okay, so you knew. I mean, I imagine there's challenges before you get in the fancy chair. Sure. You get at the big table. It's I not guess. as fancy when you're sitting in the chair. I'll tell you that it might <laughs> seem fancy from the outside, but right. it's not as fancy when you're when you're in the chair. No, I get it. I get it. What have been some of the challenges just from start, and I guess as long as you've been in there, yeah. that you've seen that you guys have had to conquer or tolerate. Well, when I first took the position, this is my first time being a CEO, I had it in my mind that if I wanted to do something or I wanted to take the company in a direction, we would do that because I'm the CEO. 
Yeah, I'm the boss, right? I'm the boss, right? (laughs) You know, and it's just not that way. If you want to lead a healthy executive team and organization, there's collaboration that takes place. You have to be open and listen to other ideas, be able to admit when you're wrong. And there's been a learning process of that, of, you know, I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to be the expert at all things. I have really great people around me that are subject matter experts and finance and product and and go to market. And so relinquishing some of that responsibility to them and just trusting was a real learning for me. And the benefits, you know, are, are great. My, my kind of history has been, if I need something done, I just, just do it because I feel comfortable with me doing it. And and I just can't do that anymore. So trusting a team, something that I've learned, um, really just not being afraid to to ask questions and admit when you're wrong or you don't know something that I've had to do um and and had great results from it um I've been humbled there's I have definitely been humbled I've had some really hard times you know raising money is challenging maybe some people in the company have um, personal issues it all becomes your issues mm-hmm. and, you know, in, in some fashion. And, you know, that's a lot. I feel accountability to that mental and emotional health of our employees. And when they're all virtual or remote, that can be somewhat challenging. Um, I've found a group of mentors. Oh, nice. Okay. Take to lunch. People, they don't even have to be expert in the sense of doing what I've been doing for 20 or 30 years. I just need someone who maybe crossed the bridge that I'm trying to cross two or three months ago. They're just a little bit ahead of me. There's other people that, you know, have far greater understanding or expertise they can share, but a mentor doesn't have to be, um, you know, someone who's 20 years older than you. It could just be someone who's just a little bit further on the path than you. And I found that really helpful. They have an outsider's view looking in. They don't, maybe they're not so close to the challenges. So finding mentors is um, something that that's been really helpful to me as well. All right. So finding them, I guess, how did you find them? Did you figure out who or roughly what type of industry you want to target and then just call people yeah. up and say, Hey, let me take you out to lunch kind of thing. Or how did that work? Well, I kind of prospected, right? I, I would go to lunch with someone who was helping me out and I would leave the lunch with another name. All right. Who else should I speak to? I'm kind of going through these things. And then that person begets another person, begets another person. Um, I've got a great board of directors who um, some are independent, some are with VC firms that have been really great colleagues and and advisors to me. And they've recommended people to me as well. Um, And there's also just years and years of mistakes that I've made and and acknowledging those and, and trying to help the team avoid them. Or asking these these mentors, how did they avoid them? So I can hopefully skip over those landmines moving forward. But it's been very helpful. Yeah, humbling in the sense of um, just not, there's situations or questions come up where we're trying to find product market fit and there's two really great options and getting a team around us to make 
you know, trying to figure out a decision and how to make that and be the person that finally makes, okay, this is the decision that we're going to. I've chosen incorrectly sometimes. Yeah, we all do. You know, Sooner you know, or later. And that's humbling, you know, yeah. that's that that loses us months or dollars or whatever that may be. And so I've I've found uh I found great empathy in this role for the CEOs I've worked with in the past. Oh, sure. Okay. You yeah. understand where so they're you find from. yourself being maybe critical of your boss at different times, and then you start wearing their shoes and you're like, okay. Yeah, I didn't have all the answers back then, and they were doing the best that they could. So I'd say that's something major that I've learned is um, maybe don't judge a book until you're until you've read it. <laughs> fair, totally fair. Tell me when you you're come to the board. How well? First, let's start with the board. How do you put together, figure out who you want on your board, and how much of a choice do you get versus the other? I suppose VCs just get a chair. That's part of what they're buying. Yeah, the VCs typically get at least one chair and then an advisor seat or an um, observer seat. So that happens. I try to keep, you know, odd numbers of boards. Um, there's seven people on our board right now. Oh, so you don't come at a standstill. Yeah. So All four right. are, um, I would say, so me and my partner on the board, we have three kind of institutional investors and we have one independent investor. Um and so I try to find people that are um, maybe experts or have scaled business in areas that I feel like we need a lot of help. Mm. So I've looked for product people. I've looked for go-to-market and sales people, um, finance people in different different times. So if there's parts of, parts of the business that need assistance or guidance, I look for people that have that expertise that can be on the board or in arena or in an area where I'm, I'm weak or I'm not maybe as strong, someone that can support me and, and help, help provide that guidance. Um, board members will often refer or talk about other people, you know, that, that you can go after. Um, but it's a lot of networking and just trying right. to find the right person on there, but you need to have some independence independent members coupled with the institutionals because they don't really have an agenda the institutions is as good as they are they want to return and you know they're business people as well so i think the independent having the independence value or uh i would call the independence kind of the subject matter experts and the institutions are more like the market trends um you know raising money and, and helping through that and the independents are more of the subject matter experts that they kind of balance out all right interesting tell me about working with employees specifically programmers and remote programmers because to me programming i know enough to be dangerous probably not even that much um mm -hmm. nothing near what i would consider to be professional Sure. And when I, when I see uh, or try to hire a programmer, I'm like, hey, I want this built, this little app built, whatever. Mm -hmm. I have no idea, yeah, no practical idea how yeah. long that should take. Were you just in my exec meeting yesterday? I was not. <laughs> just bug on the wall, right? Were you just there? Yeah, that's. there's a couple of ways that you can look at programming. Um, one, there's a traditional kind of waterfall where 
you're spending a month or two months planning to the the last detail what a product is going to be and then you can say in week two we're going to have this week three we're going to do this and week four we're going to do this well oftentimes what you find is when you get to week eight when you're delivering the product the market has changed or the needs of the business have changed and you've built the wrong thing or it's not quite what it needs to be so we work on an agile more kind of agile environment and um, pick our priorities by the business and i try to lock it down by quarter with our product engineer and engineering teams where they're delivering things on a we reevaluate on a quarterly basis but we're able to make kind of with guardrails kind of quicker pivots um one of the challenges that i have faced in leadership is there are certain elements of a business that are highly quantifiable and highly accountable finance and sales are two of those mm -hmm. you close the books and the numbers are what they are you either hit your quota or you didn't hit your quota you drove a certain amount of leads or you didn't um on the programming and engineering side there's much more art to that than science so what i ask my team to do is to size projects without it um causing you know weeks of planning of a small medium or large like are we okay, looking that's for those three it fits in one of those is okay. it so if it's a small we think it's going to be about three weeks if it's a medium it's probably going to take us you know a quarter to get that done or two months to get that done if it's a large that's going to take one team an extended period of time you know work, work through that so what you end up having are kind of pebbles and rocks. Like you pick the big ones. You've probably heard the analogy before. I certainly didn't make it up. You pick the four or five biggest rocks that you want to accomplish and make sure you're resourced for those things with somewhat of deadlines or deliverables attached to them. And then you can put the, the, the pebbles in there mm -hmm. inside that will, you know, you can kind of fill them in as needed. There's a lot of trust that goes into that because right. I don't, I'm not, a, I, I'm not an engineer. And so when someone says to me, well, that's no one, no one ever says we absolutely can't do that. I, I've got a great team. Well, that's good. That's, think creatively, yeah. but I will hear oftentimes, well, that's really, really big. And I don't know how to quantify that, you know, All right. as opposed to other priorities and initiatives. So there's a lot of trust that goes into it and trust is earned by, okay, you said this was small you said it was going to take three weeks after four of these projects, it's taken about three weeks. So we've got some, you know, some history there. So some of that trust is, is earned and on our executive team, either me or my partner, Ron Ross have worked with everybody on the executive team in one capacity, not necessarily together, but in different places. So we formed a team that we'd work together. So there was that inherent kind of relationship or, or trust that goes into it. But analyzing the efficiency of, of engineering, I think is, um, I don't think anybody masters it, um, but you, you have to, you, you can't treat it like other parts of the business. And there can be some challenges where, a salesperson might feel like, well, why am I getting hounded because I didn't hit quota, but product was delayed two weeks or something like oh, that. Oh, sure. You know, and so you can get these kind of silos that create, well, why can't the sales team sell what I built 
And what the sales team is like, why can't they build something for me to, that I can sell? So <laughs> bridging those gaps and making sure you're having, I would say healthy conflict is, is not a bad thing. Having hard conversations and figuring things out is a, is a learned, uh, a learned talent that I haven't always had, but the underlying premise of it. And I actually got this from Patrick Lencioni is there's a pyramid of an effective executive team and the, the base of that pyramid is trust. And all if right. you have trust and if you have vulnerability and you're like, we're humans, we're all trying to do the same thing here. Um, give grace to people when they make a mistake or, you know, assume positive intent, then you can have more of those maybe conflict conversations and working through things that um, actually get you to a better place. Because nothing is ever perfect. Nothing. You know, right. the, the road to success is circuitous, right? It's like this. It's <laughs> right. never it's never directly up and to the right. So yeah. you have to be able to work through conflict with your teams um, in order to get to the right place. So fair. Totally fair. Maybe that, that might have been long-winded. I apologize for that. No, it's good. It's something it's, that it's, is off of mind and I'm not perfect at it, but we've had a lot of conversations about it internally. It's accurate because we, I guess, on a smaller scale and I would say less subjective, but still relatively subjective, is we're with my call answering service measuring administrative time mm -hmm. for agents on individual clients and stuff like that is similar, not nearly as difficult as measuring time spent by an engineer coding, especially uh -huh. when that engineer is remote and you're going to have some engineers that just are in the zone. They know how to get it done. Yeah. An ex engineer could knock this thing out in a week, maybe a day where another engineer that they're good, but they're slow. Maybe they need more Mountain Dew or whatever, Yeah. but you're still like, it's still good. But from, if we're paying them hourly or salary or something like that, we're not necessarily getting Apples to apples return. The same amount of output. Yeah. I've had to really be careful about the language that I use. Like, oh. Can't you just can't you just do this? <laughs> like, couldn't can't you just like put, you know, a button or a, you know, and that doesn't land well. That's really minimizing <laughs> and showing my ignorance of the process. Sure. So I've tried to be better about that. But when I ask a question, I try to make it. Um, look, I understand that this is going to take work. This is the reason why I'm asking for this thing. And so it doesn't just feel like what engineers really want to know is that the work that they do is going to put, be put to use. All right. So I think there's stacks of code that just never gets used for because the company didn't have the right vision or direction or priorities changed. They want to, they want to feel valued and they want to feel their work is done. And if they understand the purpose mm -hmm. of what they're building, and why it needs to be in a certain time frame. I've seen them pin their ears back and and really just dig in and, and go after it. But if you're just kind of saying like, hey, I had this thought over the weekend, why don't you change this? And with no context or reasoning behind it, that's not really motivating. In fact, it's probably demotivating. Because All right, because you're taking away their purpose. They're not even defining what that purpose is. If you do that, yeah, it's it's you get worse results, in my opinion. All right, interesting. You know, it's interesting you say that now. I guess it's pretty timely because I've been giving tasks to my crew mm -hmm. and I've get, been getting much better results when I tell them why I want the certain project done. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Where before I was thinking, just do the project because I said do the project, right. and you have the bandwidth boss. to do the project. Yeah. So there's no reason that you need to ask why. And nobody outright told me, but there were times that I was getting something I was like, eh, that's not exactly what I want. Mm-hmm. So I tell them the purpose, one, so that they have a, a reason for why I'm asking for that. But it also gives them a little bit of guidance, some yeah. guardrails that like, is this what I'm doing, achieving that purpose? Yes or no? Yeah. Is it me. important and why? You could, you could correlate that to, I don't know if you have children, but like mm-hmm. just when you're like, just do it because I said so. Right. Yeah. Right. Let me ride home. Yeah. You, you get, I think, better results from kids when you explain things to them and help them understand the, the reasons why they're being asked to do something. Not that engineers are children in any way. I just think it's human nature to right. not just be like ordered around. Even if you're in the military, like there's some, I can't say all the time, but at least some like this is an order, but this is why I'm giving you this order. And um, yeah, I've, I've found that that increases the health and the the morale of those relationships. Mm-hmm. And, and then I would add to that empathy. You know, the salesperson saying, why don't you build something that I can sell or vice versa? Well, if either one of those groups could just stand up and have some empathy and say, look, I understand it's really challenging to go to market with this. This is what we're building. Tell me what your struggles are. And if you have teams that are willing to do that, um, it's just a much more pleasant and productive work arrangement. Nice. Not everybody's able to do that, though, because I think we mostly just kind of get focused on what we have been asked to do and what's important to us. Yeah, you have that tunnel vision because you want to get the job done. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you forget that there's other people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You raise a very good point that I have to constantly remind myself of is assuming that the other person has good intentions. Right. Cause a lot of times I'll see somebody mess up and I'm like, what are you trying to do? Yeah. Right. You're trying to How destroy you know the company. Or yeah. Or when what's really hard is like Slack or oh. written communication. When somebody puts something in all caps to emphasize it, <laughs> you know, and your reaction is like, why are you yelling at me? You know, for, we just have to be careful in our communication style. Um, and, and remote work is, is challenging because a lot of it is is written. Mm-hmm. And so I, I try to lead with, you know, appreciation. I think thank you for doing this and pleased and being careful with my language on that. So it's not left to the to maybe a misinterpretation of why it's <laughs> why is my CEO mad at me when I'm really right. everyone's delicate flower, right? That's right. <laughs> delicate flower. Everybody, yeah. especially a CEO, right? You gotta tiptoe around walk on eggshells whatever yeah i've i've had to learn about that um not everybody thinks about things in the world the way i do so i have to be um i'm my myself for sure but um there's a language check in things and sensitivity to why trying to create an environment where everybody feels safe and welcome and comfortable so they can do their best work yeah. right fair yeah, but I didn't realize how fast time is moving here. How, yeah. how can people find you? So website, first of all, the company's name is Every, E-V-E-R-E-E. So every.com. Um, Brett Barlow on LinkedIn, if anybody would like to connect with me. 
And uh, yeah, we serve businesses in every state in the country. And uh, I personally just like connecting with other people. So if there's anything I can do to help, or maybe I can be that person that's done something just a couple weeks before somebody else and right? happy to help them out if I can. So, but more than anything, I'd just like to thank you for having this um, interaction and conversation. I've really enjoyed it. And I really gratefully you invited me to, to talk with you today. Yeah, happy to. You have a ton to share. And I mean, payroll, I don't know of any employer that's just like, yeah, it's payroll day. No. So, no, so we but want I, to make it easy and fast. Yeah, that's pretty clever. That's very clever. So kudos to you for being on the top of that um, mountain, I suppose. Of- well, we're trying to get to the top of the mountain. I don't know if you ever really get there, but we're working. Eh, it's a journey. It's fun. Yeah. It's all good. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Brett. James, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Take care. You as well. Okay. This has been Bye. Authentic Business Adventures, the business program that brings you the struggle stories and triumphant successes of business owners across the land. We're locally underwritten by the Bank of Sun Prairie. If you're listening or watching this on the web, if you could do us a huge favor, hit the big old like, hit the big old subscribe, and of course, comment to myself or Brett below and let us know what's it like doing payroll as an employer, what's it like to receive pay as an employee, and what are the things that you'd like to be improved on either way. My name is James Kateman and Authentic Business Adventures is brought to you by Calls on Call, offering call answering and reception of services to service businesses across the country on the web at callsoncall.com, as well as the Bold Business Book, a book for the entrepreneur and all of us available wherever fine books are sold. We'd like to thank you, our wonderful listeners, as well as our guest, Brett Barlow, the CEO of Every. Brett, can you tell us that website one more time? Yeah, every.com, E-B-E-R-E-E.com. Perfect. Super easy. Past episodes can be found morning, noon, and night. The podcast link found at drawincustomers.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. I want you to stay awesome. And if you do nothing else, enjoy your business.